preached in the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown on Sunday, February 24, 1974. Text is John, the second chapter, the 23rd and 24th verses. Many believed in his name when they saw his signs which he did, but Jesus did not trust himself to them. Please now with me turn in your Bibles to John, the second chapter, beginning to read at the 23rd verse. Now, when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw his signs, which he did. But, but Jesus did not trust himself to them, because he knew all men and needed no one to bear witness of man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born anew, he cannot see the kingdom of God. <coughs> Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born anew. The wind blows where it wills, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know whence it comes or whither it goes. So is it with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can this be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand this? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God sent the Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does 
what is true comes to the light, that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been wrought in God. Amen. Traditionally, Christianity has always come down rather hard on poor old Nicodemus. Because of his relationship, or what many people think is the lack of a relationship with Jesus Christ, Nicodemus, I don't think, has really gotten a fair shake. Since the beginning of preaching, writing, biblical biographers as well as princes of the pulpit have depicted this particular man not only as a powerful Pharisee, but more importantly as an individual who is sneaky. <laughs> and that he was. That's true. As revealed by his coming to Jesus only in the darkness of night. He has been pictured as an individual who was cowardly, and, and that's true, he was. He had back trouble. He, he had a yellow mark right up the middle of his back. He, he was an individual, we know, who had an opportunity to speak against an injustice, and even though he made a weak defense at the Supreme Court hearing of early Israel, of which he was a member, he did it rather timidly and with not too much courage when he said to his fellow judges, does our law condemn a man without hearing him and learning what he does? When he tried weakly to defend Jesus when he had the power to save him. Also this man is portrayed, even though he is a scholar, a teacher, a leader of the Israelites, as being somewhat stupid when it came to understanding the simplicity of God's gospel. He is either stupid or just like some of us, very stubborn in giving mental assent and complete belief in faith to accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and as God's way to find eternal life. So you see that the church has always come down rather hard on Nicodemus because of this sneakiness, because of this cowardly attitude, because of his either stupidity or stubbornness. But when we picture poor Nicodemus in only with such weak credits, I don't think we get a complete composite of him. You see, you can't judge Nicodemus or anybody else, or even yourself, only by his minuses, only by his weaknesses, 
But you must also, whenever you judge someone, do so in the light of his strengths as well as his weaknesses. You can't just judge a man by asking him what he thinks of Jesus Christ. You can really only judge a man when you ask, what does Jesus Christ think of that man? And when you ask that question to Nicodemus, you get the relationship that he didn't think too much of Jesus Christ, but when you ask Jesus Christ, you get the idea that Jesus Christ loved Nicodemus, and what is more important, he trusted him. He trusted Nicodemus. I get this idea not from the particular chapter that tells us about Nicodemus, but from the few verses which immediately precedes the third chapter of John's Gospel. You read them along with me and heard them read how Jesus came to Jerusalem at the Passover season. It was a time of parties. And Jesus was doing many wonderful signs, and because of these miracles, John tells us that many people believed on his name, but even though those people believed in Jesus, Jesus did not trust himself to them. And then it goes on to tell us about another man, a man by the name of Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, one whom I think the scripture reveals, at least to me, as an individual whom Jesus did trust. And I'll show you what I mean. Unlike the other people who believed in Jesus, only because of miracles and signs and popularity, Jesus did not entrust himself to them, but rather he entrusted himself to this questioning, this rather dubious, this one who has received rather a poor reputation from Christianity, this Nicodemus. That is the one to whom he entrusted himself. He entrusted himself by telling Nicodemus and trusting Nicodemus with God's plan for the redemption of the world. Do you realize it? But long before Jesus told his disciples, long before he revealed it unto the people of Israel, God's plan for redemption, he first told it to Nicodemus. It was Nicodemus, according to John, who first heard how you get eternal life. It was either in or as a result of this midnight conversation with Nicodemus that the world today possesses that verse of scripture which some people call the total Bible in a nutshell, that verse of scripture which all of us has memorized, that verse of scripture which is the most often quoted verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Because of Nicodemus and Christ's trust in Nicodemus, we have that knowledge. It was to Nicodemus that God first revealed through Jesus Christ 
that he sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. It was to Nicodemus that Jesus explained the complicated transaction and dynamic of conversion. That a person must be born again if he's to enter into the kingdom of God, this time not in his mother's womb, but with water in the spirit. It was to Nicodemus, the one that we have come down hard on, that Jesus trusted the plan that he had for the salvation of the world. He trusted him not only with that, but he trusted him with something else. Jesus trusted Nicodemus with a special awareness of Christ's presence, a special, unique kind of awareness of the Christ's presence. You see, Nicodemus, though I'm sure he wanted to many times, just could not get away from hearing the voice of Jesus. And he could not forget the picture of pathos and, and love that he saw in the eyes of Jesus. No matter how much he drank, no matter how hard he worked, no matter how far he ran from Jerusalem, no matter what, he could not erase that tape that he had and continued to play in his memory and those sights that he had embedded on his brain forever, which came from the conversations and the transactions that took place that night that Jesus and Nicodemus talked in Jerusalem. Many a night, I'm sure this man went to sleep hearing again the voice, seeing again the Christ, and he had a special awareness of the presence of the Almighty. And he had it because Jesus trusted him. He trusted his mind. He knew what was in all men, and he knew that Nicodemus had some wonderful qualities, and he knew that he had a fine mind. And Jesus knew that if he just trusted Nicodemus and gave him enough time, that eventually Jesus would find Nicodemus at the foot of the cross. And sure enough, though it didn't happen overnight, and it didn't happen easily, and it happened only with pain and with suffering, on Good Friday afternoon late, there is the timid, sneaky, cowardly, stupid, stubborn Nicodemus standing unashamedly, being observed openly as he helped Joseph of Arimathea take down the body of Christ from the cross. And this was so, see, Nicodemus found the meaning of the cross because Jesus trusted him. 
and he trusted him in another way. Jesus Christ trusted Nicodemus with his own body, his own precious body, the body which Jesus had walked around in for 33 years, the body that had hurt, the body which he had fed, the body which he had slept, the body which he had loved, the body that he tried to take care of, this body which was his in the design of God, this thing which he loved and protected and tried to keep well, he trusted it when it died to a man whom he had known only one night in a conversation. And Jesus Christ trusted Nicodemus with his body. And now Nicodemus, in his own hands, he had the body of Jesus Christ. And it was up to him to preserve that body, protect that body, prepare that body for burial, and to cleanse that body and make it pure. And that's exactly what Nicodemus did. And he did it for one reason, because he knew that Jesus trusted him. So you see, no matter what Christianity may think of Nicodemus in picturing him rather unfavorably in the Bible and from the pulpit, no matter what other people may think of Nicodemus, no matter what Nicodemus thought of Nicodemus, one thing you've got to remember was that God trusted him. God trusted him through Jesus Christ. And that's the point that I want you to remember from today's sermon. Because I know it's not night, not midnight, it's midday. And as Mr. Bruder has said in reminding us all that today is the last Sunday before Lent, 1974. Yet in the brightness of this day, I think some of us have come into this sanctuary identifying with Nicodemus. Feeling that I know something, not everything, but something that is in mankind I know very well that right before my eyes I am looking at some people who really have only contempt for themselves. They feel like sneaks because of something they did last night, something they said yesterday, something they've been thinking for weeks. It's kind of hard to hold your head up today. You have only contempt. You identify with Nicodemus. Some come here today dressed in fine clothes, having driven big automobiles from the garages of beautiful homes. Many admirable qualities, but one thing you know is lacking. There's no real conviction of courage. You've seen one injustice perpetrated after another. And like me, so often, you just stood there and you let them happen. Oh, you might have offered one little weak word in defense, but 
As soon as some other judge told you to be still, you shut up. And today, though you have many things in your life, one thing you owe you have not, your back trouble. It comes from a lack of courage. And then I know some who are here today or believe that they are here. For the life of them, they just can't understand this complication called conversion. Well, they'd like to. They know they're not totally committed. They wish that they could do more for Christ. They wish that they could live more by faith. They wish that they could move mountains instead of tripping over anthills. But they're not there yet. They can't quite be sure if it's because of their stupidity or their stubbornness. But they'll find there are many people who will do anything, anything, then accept the grace of God and just merely believe and know there is no other plan except to be born again to enter into the kingdom of God. So here we are. And without anybody coming down hard on us, we are coming today hard on ourselves. And it's to that individual whom I, to whom I speak. For no matter how hard you are coming down on yourself today, please remember this. God, through Jesus Christ, trusts you. He trusts you and me. He trusts us with the same things with which he trusted Nicodemus. He has trusted us with his eternal plan for the salvation of the world. The rules have not changed. The plan has not changed. It's still the same that if any man is going to know eternal life and enter into the kingdom of God, he still must see Jesus Christ raised up and believe on him. God has not had a big argument with us. He still loves us. And though we've turned our backs many times on him, God in Jesus Christ is still trying not to condemn the world, but save the world through him. And this message has been entrusted to us. And we are the people who are to proclaim it clear to the uttermost parts of the world, baptizing and teaching in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And if it's going to be done, it will be done by God through us because he has entrusted to us, whether we like it or not, the message, his plan for the salvation of the world. He's entrusted to us something else. Basically the same thing that he entrusted to Nicodemus, but we call it perhaps by a different name. God, through Jesus Christ, has entrusted to you and to me the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, God's presence in the world today. Now, like Nicodemus, some of us do not know it, but that nevertheless does not take away Jesus Christ's presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. He's here. He's here right now. He's in you if you are a baptized believing Christian. 
is right here working in this church. He is right here today working in the lives of many people. I am tempted on many occasions to share with you some of the comments and some of the letters which we receive at this church indicating the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. But you know, I hesitate to do so because I think some of you would not believe me. And some would not understand what we're talking about. Because you see, the Holy Spirit is just like the wind. You don't know where it's coming from, where it's going. All you do is stand and look and realize that it's here. The Holy Spirit is the activity in the world today that is changing lives, and I am seeing lives changed in this church every week. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit leading us into new truth, bringing remembrance of all things that Jesus has said unto us, empowering us to live lives that are healthy and happy and complete. That's the Holy Spirit. You see, let's not get the idea or give in. The charismatics are not the only ones that know about the Holy Spirit, nor do they own him. He owns them just as he owns us. The thing is, they're not quite as ashamed to talk about the Holy Spirit as we seem to be. The Holy Spirit is here and he is working. And thank God that he has entrusted the Holy Spirit to us. And he's entrusted something else to us, his body. Like Nicodemus, he has given us his body, his body that Paul speaks of as being the church. He's entrusted the church to you and to me. You see, for there to be a church, there must be always two believing parties, at least one individual who believes and trusts God, and secondly, there must be God who believes in people. And just as we would not have a church if God did not bless us with his Holy Spirit, God would not have a church without us people and his trust in us. And you see, we have the church under the guidance of the Holy Spirit right here in our hands. And it is our job to protect it, to preserve it, to cleanse it and to prepare it, not for burial, but for rebirth and resurrection. That's our job. Maybe not because we wanted it, but because Christ has entrusted his church to us, and entrusting it to us, he has also told the world that the gates of hell shall never prevail against her. We have a big responsibility, you and me, not because of who we are or what we've done, but because God trusts us. And ladies and gentlemen, during Lent 1974, please join with me in remembering that. Lent, you know, has been traditionally a time when we give things up, make sacrifice. I'm not quite sure where that idea came from. I don't think it's biblical in any way. As a matter of fact, I think it's more biblical when we take things on rather than give things up. And what I want you to do is to take on with me 
a new understanding of the trust that God has in you and me. During this Lenten series and season, let, let, let's not be thinking so much about our problems that we forget his power that he's entrusted to us. Let us not be so concerned about our temptations that we forget about the trust that he has placed in us. The story is oft told about a man, a beggar, who sat opposite a window of, a, of an artist's studio. And there without the man beggar knowing it, the artist painted the beggar's portrait. And when he was all finished, he invited the beggar to come over and to see it. And when the man came in, he, of course, did not recognize himself. And he kept asking, who is it? Who is it? And the artist just stood there smiling and waiting. Finally, recognition began to dawn. And the old beggar said, is it me? Is it, is it really me? And the artist replied, that's the man that I see. And then the beggar said, if that's the man you see, that's the man I'll be. And I think God, the great creator of the universe, the one who has made you and me for destiny in paradise, this is the man that he wants us to be, the man whom he sees and trusts in you and me. Amen.